do know whenever you start following Jesus for real, there's going to always be somebody looking to trap you. I don't hear nobody saying that. There's going to always be somebody that's looking for something to say. I don't care what you do. I don't care how much you try to live right. I don't care how much you try to do the will of God. There's always going to be some Negro that's always trying to put you in a trick bag and say that you're not what you claim to be. Am I talking to anybody in here? Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart. Amen. You may be seated as you take your seat. Tell, tell somebody a new beginning. I want to talk about a new beginning. It's a new year. Our theme is a new beginning. We want to talk about how it's possible. Does anybody here ever wish you could start over again? I'm talking about, have you ever blown it so bad? And not just with people, but for our preaching purposes today, because sometimes we worry more about blowing it with people than we do with God. Have you ever blown it so bad with God that you felt as if you, your life was over and you could not start over again? Or you wish for the opportunity to start over again. And you say it to God because how many of you know, and our young people, I want you to particularly pay attention to this, one bad decision can wreck your life. I said one bad decision. One, one decision made in a moment of passion or anger or desperation can wreck your life for 20 years. In fact, some writers say that the ages between 16 and 24 are some of the most pivotal years of our lives. Because whether we believe it or not, even though we have an opportunity to make, cha make change and we have an opportunity to get it right, the time that we lose when we make bad decisions, when we are guilty of youthful indiscretions and all of us have made those choices, we end up losing time, precious time, that could have been invested missionally for the kingdom of God. Who here has ever messed up and blown it so bad with God that you said to God, if you just give me one more chance, we done made all kind of promises. We done promised to preach. We done promised to tithe. Come on here. We done promised that we were going to forgive folk. We were going to stop being mad, stop having a chip on our show. We made all kinds of promises because there's nothing worse than knowing when you've blown it. And there's nothing worse than having a situation or a circumstance or a scenario in your life when you blow it and when you sin against God, but not just when you sin, but when the private sin becomes public. Who am I talking to in here? All of us in here know what it's like for private sin to become public. Perhaps you're not in that category. Perhaps you're one of those real slick sinners. Touch your neighbor and say, with your slick self. No, you, you're not that saved. You're just slick. You're not that deep. You're just slick. You, you're, not, you're not even that unnerned. You're just slick. And, and, and maybe you're one of those slick sinners that, that likes to look at everybody else and size other folk up and judge other people and talk about other folk. But, but can I get some witness from the slick sinners that you're glad that God didn't expose your dirt? Oh, it ought to be more than 50 of y'all clapping. I know I'm glad. I know, I know there's some stuff, there's some stuff that some of us know that we would chew through a rock, Reginald French, with no teeth. 
Somebody said, with no teeth, gumming through a rock. With no teeth to make sure that it didn't get told. You ought to stop right now and thank God that he did not expose your private sin. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. Thank you, Tawan. There is nothing worse than when private sin goes public. But you know something? Pastor Shirley Prince told me one time, she said, Rhody, one of the ways that God saves us is by exposing us. She said, because without the exposure, I don't hear nobody saying that. This is my, this is my quote. Without the exposure, most of us would self-destruct. I don't hear nobody saying that. Because the truth of the matter is, what keeps us in sin is darkness. And the devil flourishes in darkness. But that's why the Bible says that the light shined in the darkness and the darkness couldn't overcome it. Because when you are in Christ Jesus, there's something even when you in darkness that you can't rest until the light shines. Oh, y'all ain't gonna talk to me, but I came for you on this first Sunday of the year. Because exposure helps us from self-destructing. And yet, there is nothing probably, Reverend Lisa, more worse than when your private sin becomes public. And everybody knows your business. You know, we think we know folks' business. Touch your name. So you think you know my business. You made some movies in your head about what you think you know, but it's a different thing when folks know what they know. That it's verifiable and it's true, Pat Harris. It's different when folk really know your business. And we see it all the time. We see it in the news. General Petraeus with his mistress. This squeaky clean general. And we find out he got him a 40-some girlfriend. 40-some year old girlfriend. We see it all the time. We see it on the national platform. We see it on the national stage. We saw it with Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. I mean, we see it with people uh, embezzling money. We saw it with, with uh, Elliot Spitzer picking up prostitutes in a prostitute ring. We saw it even in a pulpit where Ted Haggard was preaching about homosexuality and sleeping with a prostitute. Because there's something about private sin going public. And if you've never had private sin to go public, it may be hard for you to appreciate this text. But if you've ever been in a position where you have been publicly embarrassed, and it doesn't always have to be about adultery. It doesn't always have to be about an affair. It can be about a marriage that failed. It can be about a baby that you had out of wedlock. It can be because you had some youthful indiscretion that came back to hunt you. If you've ever been in a position where your private sin has become public, where you've been embarrassed because you were contaminated by a disease and everybody knows what you got. Whether it's private or public, it's always accompanied by shame. And if you know anything about it or you've walked the road with someone who has experienced it, you get a glimpse of how this sister felt in today's text. The Feast of the Tabernacles had ended but Jesus took advantage of the opportunity to minister to the pilgrims in the temple. The Bible said that Jesus was one whom the common people heard glad. He had a tremendous teaching gift, and whenever he spoke, he had an E.F. Hutton anointing. Whenever Jesus spoke, everybody listened. He had a way of talking to people in ways that captivated audiences, and he had a way of translating deep theological truths into parables, Sarah, so that everybody could understand it. And so whenever he was somewhere teaching Minister Audrey, the common people, 
the common people, the derelicts, the sinners, the tax collectors, the publicans. Isn't it something how tax collectors and sinners could be attracted to Jesus, but the church can't attract no sinners? Isn't it amazing how people that were on the edge and on the periphery and on the margins felt comfortable coming in contact with Jesus, but so often we who represent Jesus are repelled by the presence of the very people that the church says it came to save. It's amazing to me that how Jesus could command crowds and wherever he went, people followed him. They followed him to the seashore. They followed him across the countryside. When they got in the boat and tried to get away from the folk, uh, Pauletta, when they got to the other side, the folk were on the other side waiting for him because he had a magnetic ministry. And this particular day, it's no exception. He's in the temple teaching. And while he's teaching, the people are there because they want to hear from this peasant from the backwoods who teaches with authority and not like one of the scribes. But while he was teaching, we see it in the text, the witnesses, the church folk, the religious folk bring a woman to Jesus before a crowd and they heap public shame on her. Now, first of all, Minister Ganita, the first thing they could have done was addressed her privately. But their approach to the problem indicates that they're not really interested in righteousness, Pam. They only have an agenda to trap Jesus. And you do know whenever you start following Jesus for real, there's going to always be somebody looking to trap you. I don't hear nobody saying that. There's going to always be somebody that's looking for something to say, I don't care what you do, I don't care how much you try to live right, I don't care how much you try to do the will of God, there's always going to be some Negro that's always trying to put you in a trick bag and say that you're not what you claim to be. Am I talking to anybody in here? The issue ain't righteousness. Touch your neighbor said the issue ain't righteousness. Can I tell you why? Because if the issue is righteousness, we wouldn't be having a conversation. Because you can't address my unrighteousness until you deal with your own. Oh, y'all didn't, didn't come for church. Touch your neighbor and say, sweep around your own front door. I came for you today before you try to sweep around mine. If you point at, at when you point your finger at somebody else, it's four. Yeah, I said four, not four. Four pointing back at you. If, let me see if I can make it contempt. If you living in a glass house. They were not interested in righteousness. They were basically trying to discredit Jesus. Come here a little closer. Can I tell you, there's always somebody that's looking at your life to try to discredit Jesus. That's why you got to live right. That's why you got to not allow your evil, your good to be evil spoken of. That's why the Bible says you got to avoid the very appearance of evil. Once again, my mentor said to me, Pastor Shirley Preston, this is just a sidebar. Preachers, you need a mentor. You need somebody in your life that can speak into your life. You need somebody that can tell you sit down and desist. You need somebody that will set you straight when you're acting ignorant and when you're embarrassing God. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. And not only do preachers need them, but all of us need somebody. Because everything that comes to your mind ain't supposed to be said. And everything that you think to do is not something you need to act on. Touch your neighbor and say, do you have a mentor? My mentor told me once, she said, Rhody, the devil doesn't care how he embarrasses God as long as he does. She said, and what you must understand is that God cannot be embarrassed technically 
but he can be embarrassed by the people that represent him. So you need to know that once you begin to follow Jesus, Butler, there's always going to be somebody who's looking to try to discredit you. And they will use righteousness as a standard when, in fact, the very standard and, 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 and stick or measuring stick that we often try to use to measure other people, we would fail ourselves. Here's the reason why. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short. I don't hear nobody saying nothing of the glory of God. These Pharisees, these self-righteous, legalistic Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus. They're not interested in a trial. They're not interested in righteousness. They are only trying to trap Jesus, to discredit Jesus, and they use this woman. They exploit her private sin by making it public information. Now, just use your sanctified homiletical imagination, that means preaching, and think about how this woman must have felt. I mean, you know, it's bad enough when folk know what you're doing. You know, sometimes that's what keeps some of us from church because the enemy makes you think everybody know about you. I ain't going back up in there. Everybody looking at me funny and, and look like they looking at you funny. Come on, tell the truth. You know, nobody really know. About five folk know, but it feel like 500 folk know. And then don't let them mess around and say something to you. You ready to cuss them out? You ready to spit? You ready to spit fire? You ready to go back and get your switchblade? Because you think they're trying to check you when in fact they have no clue as to what you're going through. But that's how the enemy works. When you have sin, he has a way of allowing you to feel like everybody is looking at you. This woman's out on Front Street. She's publicly exposed. She's publicly shamed. Her business is in the street. She is humiliated. She is discredited. She is disgraced. She is crushed. She is ashamed. And it's not a rumor. Touch your neighbor and say, there ain't no rumor now. Sister girl did what they said. Now see, it's one thing when folk lying on you, but touch your neighbor and say, everybody ain't lying. Ain't nobody talking to me. Everybody ain't lying on you. That, that's what I tell folk when you, 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 know, when you try to correct children. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Five children have come and said they didn't. They, I didn't do that. Everybody ain't lying on you, sugar. Touch your name and say, everybody ain't lying. They weren't lying. This woman was guilty. They caught her in the very act of adultery. Imagine her business is in the streets. The Pharisees, Deacon Cooper, had what they considered to be a closed case. It was open and shut. They didn't even need to have a trial. Because according to the law, Stacy, Minister Stacy, she was supposed to be stoned. Wasn't nothing to talk about. Basically, all Jesus had to do was render a verdict and go ahead on. They can move on to the next issue. The Pentateuch said that adulteresses should be stoned and put to death. And the woman's fate seemed to be sealed. This was not a matter of speculation or opinion. The law of Moses made it clear that such should be stoned. But as I said earlier, the Pharisees were not interested in righteousness. They were just trying to test Jesus because they wanted to derail him from his mission. Can I help somebody right here and tell you, you got to be careful about allowing folk to derail you from your mission. And one of the things that I found is that accusation, is that criticism, and there's nothing wrong with critique positive, constructive critique, critique that has a solution. But criticism has a way of derailing you. Rejection has a way of derailing you. And you do not have the luxury because God has saved you from something and for something to invest missional energy in foolishness. My sister has an expression that she says to me, save that breath for the back end of your life. 
I want to tell you, save some energy for the back end of your life. Save it for when you really need to fight a devil. Save it for when you really need to fight a demon. Save it for when the enemy really comes in like a flood to kill, steal, and to destroy. Some stuff is not worth your investment. My mentor told me once, wrote it, I don't dialogue with ignorance. And some stuff just ain't worth even addressing. Jesus knew what his mission was. They came to discredit him, so they run up to him and they said, we caught this woman. She a real sinner. We know you've been preaching about Isaiah 61, that the spirit of the Lord, Tobias, is upon you because you've come to a, pre preach good news to the captives and recovering of sight. But what you going to say about this hymn? Because even though you came for sinners, and even though you came for the disreputable of society, and even though you've been consorting with the have-nots and those that are on the margins, we want to know what you're going to do about this. The law says she ought to be stoned. And we already got the proof. We caught Sister Girl. She was getting it on. Probably had a little Marvin Gaye playing in the background. She was getting it on. Touch your neighbor. Said she was getting it on. And don't sit here and look at me funny. You know what I'm talking about. She was, she was getting it on. And they caught her red-handed. Jesus, they think now, is in a quandary. Because he actually is in a place, Pam, where he has to make a decision. He has to decide whether or not he is going to ignore, so to speak, what the woman does. And if he does that, he's going to be considered to be light on sin. And he's going to be considered to be loose with the law. But then if he upholds the law, he will contradict his life and his preaching and his agenda that he has come proclaiming. Thus, they think they have Jesus in a trap. Because their main desire is not really to trap the woman, but to trap Jesus instead of purging Jerusalem of his moral evils. But here's what I like about Jesus. Jesus didn't say nothing. Touch your neighbor and say, sometime you don't need to say nothing. And let me tell you, for those of us that feel like we got to always say something. Am I talking to anybody in here? Those of us that feel like we just got to always say something, that we got to always come back with a defense, that we got to always explain, can I help you right now? This is revelation for elevation. Sometimes it's best just not to say nothing. I don't hear nobody saying that. Y'all throw some money on the altar. That, got that saved you a trip to the psychologist. That saved you a trip to the psychiatrist. You ought to thank God that sometimes the best answer is no answer at all. I don't hear nobody saying that. Jesus didn't say anything. Text says instead he stooped down. I'm, I'm in the text. I'm in the text. He stooped down with his finger and began to write on the ground. In other words, he exegetes this situation. But he exegetes it not with words, but with actions. And even when he was writing on the ground, the text doesn't tell us what he says. The text simply says that he stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. He's not speechless. He's not confused. Because as we will soon see, Jesus' symbolic action, although it seems ambiguous, was devastatingly clear. When they kept bothering Jesus about what he would do with this woman who had been caught in the very act, he rose up and said, any of y'all, I'm using Ebonics, that's without sin, Tamara, get your rock and throw it. He says, any of you that are without sin, you'll be the first to throw the rock. 
Now, what many people don't understand about this statement is not that Jesus was condoning this woman's sin, but Jesus was addressing these legalistic Pharisees. And he was addressing their hypocrisy. Because while they were looking at the law that said that a woman ought to be stoned if she's caught in adultery, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 27, you can read it when you get home, it tells them that if they are going to come before a court accusing somebody, then if they are going to accuse somebody, then because they're putting, them putting themselves in a position to judge somebody else, they need to be so sure and so squeaky clean that if the person is guilty, when they chunk the rock, they're not guilty of anything themselves. Herein lies the quandary for most of us Christians. Because most of us may not be guilty of this. But all of us, come on, hoop to your neighbor and say, but all of us are guilty of something. Ooh, I knew it was going to be rough in here. I see y'all, y'all done got rocks in your jaw. That's okay, I came for you today. Look at your neighbor and say, you may not be guilty of shacking, but you're guilty of lying. You may not be guilty of adultery, but you're guilty of gossip. You may not be guilty of smoking dope, but you're guilty of holding grudges. I wish I had some witnesses in here that could clap your black sanctified hands and give God a praise that even if you're not guilty of this, you're guilty of that. Because if I read my Bible right, do I have anybody in here? Hey, Rico, oh, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Tell somebody, say, I'm included in all. I know you can't look at me now and tell, but let me tell you that I ain't always looked like this. And I ain't always been domesticated like this. And I ain't always been distressed up like this. There was a time that if it had been left up to justice, I wish I had somebody in here, I would be on my way to hell in a handbasket. But can you open your mouth and give God praise for grace? And mercy. I dare you to start thanking him for grace and mercy. I double dog dare you. You, you see, if you, if you stop looking at other folk and start looking at your own stuff, touch your neighbor and say, I was a hot mess and I'm still a hot mess. Ah, but I want to throw my head back and holler real loud right now because I thank God. Jesus said, sit down. Praise God. Let me finish. Jesus said, if y'all so sinless, because now Jesus is coming back to apply the law to them. And this is part of the problem when you're legalistic. When you apply the law to other folk, the same law got to be applied to you. I don't hear nobody saying nothing. This is why Jesus said there's therefore now no condemnation. Because the truth of the matter is that if you look at the law, all of us are guilty of something. Somebody says something. And if it's not a public sin, it's a private sin. And what I've discovered is that sins of the heart are worse than sins of the flesh. Oh, some of y'all finna get mad now, but I'm going to say it again. Sins of the heart are sometimes worse than sins of the flesh. Because bitterness would make you do some stuff 
that can destroy people's lives. Resentment will make you do some stuff that will take people out. Unforgiveness will make you do some stuff that will cause people to pay for it that are not even guilty. I'm here to tell you that it's not just the public stuff that gets us in trouble with God, but it's the private stuff, the stuff in our hearts, the things that nobody sees, the things that nobody knows, the stuff that we have pushed in the closet, the things that we slick and sin about while we look out of our eyes at the drug addicts and the crack addicts and the prostitutes and the homosexuals. And this is not to say that none of those sins are right. But at the end of the day, you can't throw a rock at nobody until you look in your own closet and start pulling out some rocks for yourself. So Jesus said, okay, so if you're going to apply the law, now make sure, because I want y'all to hear this whole sermon, so don't segue and think you free to sin. Touch your neighbor and say, that ain't what she's saying. But what I am saying is that at the end of the day, we must gingerly approach this issue of judging sin in other people, lest we be judged by the same measure. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged, because with the same measure that you judge other folk, you're going to also be judged. I've lived long enough to see stuff boomerang on folk. Y'all talked about folk that got pregnant out of wedlock? Your daughter got pregnant out of wedlock. And that's not to say that sometimes you didn't talk about them, because they can still get pregnant even if you don't. But the bottom line is, keep your mouth off folk. Especially when you don't know what to hold. Y'all ain't talking to me, but I still ain't finna shut up. Because I'm trying to help you have a new beginning with God. Because at the end of the day, what pulls us away from God is thinking that we're not sinners. What causes us to not come to the altar when an altar call is called? What causes us not to shout about forgiveness and mercy is because we don't think we're in the population. Because we have begun to rank sin. And so unless you're not a homosexual, unless you're not trying to have a same-sex marriage, unless you're not a crack addict, unless you're not a gambler, unless you're not in one of those categories that we deem to be just the despicable abominations of God. Oh, but there's something else in the Bible that God calls abominable. And I ain't co-signing on nobody's sin. I'm simply standing here to tell you that all unrighteousness is sin and there's no ranking of sin because all sin stinks in the nostrils. I don't hear nobody saying nothing of God. So Jesus said, let me hurry. Jesus said, okay, so since y'all y'all so sinless, throw a rock. And the rest is history, Deacon Diggins. Because the text says, Deacon Cooper, that when Jesus said that, they left from the oldest to the youngest. I can see them grabbing up their laptops and iPads. <laughs> Praise God. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I can say, I holler at you, yeah. <laughs> call me, call me, call me, call me. Tell me how it ended, call me. The devil is a liar. Because at the end of the day, Jimmy, none of us are in a position to point our finger at anybody else. Clap your hands, ladies and gentlemen. Public spectacle shifts to a private interview. I'm just about finished. Jesus looked at the woman. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Where's everybody that's ready to throw a rock at you? I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to understand. Jesus knows what's happening. It's really a rhetorical question. He said, where are your accusers? Has, has nobody condemned you? Jesus, she said, no man, Lord. 
Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Somebody ought to clap their hands right there. Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. Like what you've heard? You can purchase this message by visiting www.christmbc.org store or by emailing us at orders at christmbc.org. Be sure to mention the title of the message. We are one church in two locations. Join us at one of our two locations at 8 a.m. at our east location at the Esplanade Memphis located at 901 Cordova Station, Cordova, Tennessee 38018 or at 10 a.m. at our south location located at 480 South Parkway East, Memphis, Tennessee 38106. May God continue to bless you is our prayer.